0: So, this one-time Soviet intelligence launched an information campaign to convince people that the U.S. government created the AIDS virus. This sudden, clandestine decision to station strategic weapons for the first time outside of Soviet soil is a deliberately provocative and unjustified change in the status quo which cannot be accepted by this country. This is Stranger Intel, a production of the Hook, Korea Media and Entertainment Company, CMC for short. I'm the co-host of the show JP. We're still waiting to get the other co-hosts in the studio as we have some scheduling issues going on, but this week we're going to take a look at one semi-historical case, Operation Infection. We'll take a look at the recent conspiracy behind uh, the Iranian intelligence operatives who plan to kidnap a a Brooklyn-based journalist on American soil for basically the forced rendition of the individual back to Iran. While the the current political climate in the United States has brought the concept of disinformation campaigns to the forefront of everyone's attention, such work dates back to the beginnings of espionage, which in intelligence circles is semi-jokingly referred to as the second oldest profession in the world. Obviously, the attention of late has focused almost solely on Russia and their disinformation campaigns, which, while warranted, certainly ignores many of the influence campaigns taking place all over the world. Uh, Such campaigns should also be viewed within context of societal and cultural movements, as you will see in today's episode. Today's show is going to discuss a joint KGB and East German Stasi disinformation campaign from basically the 1980s called Operation Infection, which, while bizarre, it had remarkable and long-standing effectiveness. The operation has so many similarities to quite a few influence campaigns we have seen unfold and are currently still seeing unfold across the world. Prior to getting into it, I have a quote that I think sums up the chaos of disinformation campaigns beautifully. It is from Colonel Ralph Wagenbreth, I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, of East Germany's Foreign Intelligence Unit, Department X. Uh, He was quoted, and I think it is actually one of my favorite quotes now after reading it. It says, our friends in Moscow call it disinformatia, which I'm definitely pronouncing incorrectly, our enemies in America call it active measures, and I, dear friends, call it my favorite pastime. So, as we look at Operation Infection, I will also highlight things that speak to the larger, previously Soviet and now Russian, intelligence apparatus. Dating back to at least the 1970s, operatives within the first chief directorate of the KGB, which is, like, their foreign intelligence, uh, they were expected to spend about 25% of their time conceiving what are called active measures, which the CIA estimated to cost around $3 billion annually for the Soviets to pull off. And that was just in 1980. The so thing about that, it like blown up to today's uh, to today's budgets. According to Dr. Thomas Bogart in the journal Studies and in Intelligence, volume 53, number 4. Active measures for the Soviets included manipulating media, disinformation campaigns, using foreign front companies and leftist sympathetic organizations to manipulate narratives in foreign countries, in addition to things like supporting guerrilla and terrorist organizations, things more on the paramilitary side of such work. The KGB also utilized intelligence agencies allied to the Soviet Union, as well as you see here with the East German Stasi. Now, as we start to actually get into Operation Infection and discuss disinformation campaigns more thoroughly, here's a really important thing that people need to realize. Disinformation campaigns really have to have at least a touch of reality built into them in order for the narrative to be accepted as credible. That is going to come up throughout this episode and show, uh, but it also is very important for people to remember that it is... A key takeaway here discussing how to identify disinformation. But moving on to Infection, which, by the way, if you're not looking at the episode title, Infection, is not spelled with a C, it is spelled with a K, which I actually prefer that spelling, that's a lot more fun. So heading into the early 1980s, U.S. and Soviet, but really East versus West relations, were nearing the worst points in history. Ronald Reagan came into the presidency, increasing the defense budget while his administration turned up the pressure on the Soviets and other communist regimes worldwide. Shortly thereafter, some personnel changes in the KGB brought to power individuals who were bigger proponents of influence campaigns and their effectiveness worldwide. And the Soviet intelligence apparatus was keenly aware that successful influence campaigns exploit current political, sociological, and cultural events or movements, carefully blending their false information with factual information and sewing it all together to touch on the emotions and passions of the masses. And perhaps this is only for the younger audience members here, but at the time, feelings towards the United States government, particularly their intelligence and military industries, were not exactly good, both domestically and internationally. Of particular concern to many, especially when we're talking about infection here, were the reports of the CIA and various Department of Defense entities developing chemical and biological weapons. Some of these concerns essentially came directly from communist propaganda and others, unfortunately, ended up being very much real. We know that the CIA tested LSD on unwilling participants, and painfully we know the history with Tuskegee and the syphilis injections and all that. Beyond the bioweapon side of things, you had Watergate freshen people's minds. You have the FBI and the CIA doing questionable domestic intelligence operations. There was a lot of distrust going around, basically. And just as public distrust around such programs reached its height in the late 70s and the early 80s, a new health crisis emerged, the AIDS virus. As with all emerging health threats, scientists scrambled to provide the public with answers. But as they struggled to produce findings, others sought an opportunity to step in and spin a tale. Heck, allegedly... Two former Soviet disinformation operatives stated the new campaign virtually conceptualized itself. It began officially on July 17, 1983 in India. A newspaper, which was it was later found out was largely controlled by the KGB, printed an article that featured an anonymous and forged letter called AIDS May Invade India Mystery Disease Caused by U.S. Experiments. The points of the letter state that the US military created the virus and was planning to conduct experiments with, vi- with the virus in neighboring Pakistan, where for people who don't know, there's long-standing ethnic tensions between the neighboring countries. Pretty much it's always at a varying level of a boiling point. The article touches on a couple of important things though. It cites numerous publicly available sources and uses well-established knowledge about the virus. This was used to establish credibility to the reader. It is meant to provide a sense of realism to the narrative that a reasonable reader might call into question. The letter goes on to describe known instances where the CIA tested, like I said, LSD on people, which we will get into in a future episode, and how select U.S. military installations developed biological weapons in the past. Finally, the letter ends with some statistical information regarding the rampant spread of the virus. Kind of a call to arms in a way to put some urgency an extra emotion behind the narrative. Now, no, earlier I said it cited a lot of uh, credible information. It did. But in between, you know, facts, there's nuggets of fake. You know, that's where they put the, well, the U.S. is doing this. But if you piece together enough things that they can go ahead and, like, source and actually validate, the things that they can't validate, the, it, there's still a lot of credibility to what you're saying because they're able to say, Well, the rest of this is true, this one fact also might be true. But you might be wondering, why was this published in India? First, the Soviets needed to mask their hand a bit, at least to the casual spectator, if you will. A publication in India to the general public wouldn't scream like a KGB plant. But in India, they had very lax guidelines and restrictions on Soviet officials coming in and out of the country. And the KGB bought off, essentially, and controlled quite a few of these media outlets in the country, publishing, some estimates say, around like 5,500 stories in 1975 alone. Even one full news agency was controlled entirely by the KGB in India at the time. But this first attempt largely was a no-go. It didn't really catch on how the KGB had hoped, but never letting a good idea fall aside, Soviet intelligence kept the plan in their back pocket until... Uh, basically 1985. By then, the AIDS virus had become a worldwide concern, and a KGB-controlled news outlet posted a news article titled, Panic in the West, or What is Hiding Behind the Sensations Surrounding AIDS? In it, the author once again highlights known U.S. biological weapons programs and testing, while telling real facts about the AIDS virus, while casually tossing in some good old-fashioned disinformation. Once again, Public sources were quoted sporadically, so if anybody went and verified some of that information, it would appear credible. Hence, that individual may become more willing to accept the rest of the narrative present in the article. It was around this time that the Eastern Stasi, uh, their intelligence apparatus, really came into their own in terms of being capable of launching campaigns uh, on this scale. Now, there is some debate regarding how much of the operation was KGB and how much was Stasi. So just keep that in mind as we move along here, but I'm going to tell what appears to be the more widely accepted version of events. Yeah, so the Stasi is coming into their own, so much so that the KGB basically handed the operation over to them. KGB were specific with their mission intent, but largely planned to let the Stasi run the mission as long as it obviously, you know, fulfilled that intent. One of the few requirements the KGB provided the Stasi before handing them control of the case was the use of a scientific approach to spreading disinformation, meaning to make everything sound as backed by scientists as possible. This is where we shift into another tradecraft skill used by the KGB and larger Soviet and communist intelligence apparatuses, even you know still today. The use of unwitting third parties to spread their information. These third parties often included scientists, uh, academic professionals, journalists, and other prominent people to, you know because they are coming from the Communist Party, they typically would try to target people with left-leaning sympathies the Stasi in this case chose professor and biophysicist Jacob Segal, Segal, Segal I don't want to pronounce that like the martial art will um but Jacob Segal he was um, he's a self-professed Marxist who was living in East Berlin with his wife and she was also kind of brought into this Segal's early involvement in the program is still shadowed in mystery but he likely received forged documents meant to look like real U.S. Department of Defense documents. He probably was not told that the information was false, and whoever gave it to him was likely a friend or a colleague sent on behalf of the Stasi. Segal was convinced by the documents and quickly became likely an unknowing participant, at least at first, in Operation Infection. Segal was passionate about his work, And international communism. He developed a pamphlet titled AIDS, its nature and origin was which was almost 50 pages long actually. In the document he argues against some of the more accepted origins of the virus and tells his version of events where the US made the virus. Fine enough people are allowed to make their own manifestos but when it is supported by an international intelligence agency these things tend to take on a life of their own. In this case a conference in Zimbabwe, with representatives of over 100 third world countries at it, provided the Stasi with a perfect dissemination point in which they could easily distribute Seagal's pamphlet. So the Stasi and KGB sent around 20 or so operatives to hand out the document to any member of the press or national representatives present at the event. Obviously, this succeeded in rapidly spreading the disinformation campaign worldwide. Many have questioned just how unknowing Seagal was in this matter, I believe that at some point he knew that he was part of the communist propaganda machine, but I think he really did believe said propaganda. And the Stasi appeared to handle their asset with great care. Now, when I say great care, I'm talking about from an intelligence manager's standpoint. You have an old man who is willing to buy into paranoia. So how do you manage that asset? Well, you send two operatives to his house and pretend to be CIA agents and question him. You don't even have to show CIA credentials, just drop enough subtle hints and the man's imagination will kind of fill in the gaps. And this is exactly what happened in the fall of 1986. Segal was convinced that people who ca- the people who came to his house were CIA, which only further entrenched his belief in the conspiracy. So suddenly, the Stasi have an even more passionate uh, asset at their disposal. Segal and his wife were likely duped by the Stasi, but they weren't alone. Best-selling author Johannes Mario Simmel, brutal last names today, who had published dozens of books and other written stories, was minding his own business, and unfortunately, he had one of his phone calls recorded by the Stasi. In his call, he was heard discussing an idea for a book about biological warfare. The Stasi, ever opportunistic, anonymously sent the author uh, some of Segal's work that said the U.S. government created the AIDS virus. And sure enough, in 1987, Semel's book, Along with the Clowns Came the Tear, or Tears, which became a bestseller and later was turned into a TV miniseries. In the story, the U.S. is portrayed as a ruthless entity in pursuit of the ultimate biological weapon. Successful disinformation campaigns require some basic elements has been stated. Elements of the truth, publicly available sources that simply tell folks, you know, hey, this is a vetted true statement here, so the rest of this is going to be accurate. You need to touch on political, cultural, or sociological, emotional points and you need repetition. And we see that here. We see the narrative continue to spread from a newspaper in India to multiple newspapers, then to radio, novels, television, and movies. You normalize the message if it is repeated enough. You also leave the narrative adaptable to meet the changing needs of consumers, or in this case, the changing, developing, or evolving passions emotions and pains of society. In infection, they did just that. The Soviets shifted their AIDS narrative to say that the virus was created by the U.S. government to specifically target African Americans. This capitalized on the weak uh, race relations within the United States and further sows distrust in the established U.S. government. This also undermined efforts by the U.S. government to develop relations with third world countries, particularly in Africa, where the Russians were seeking to establish their own relations and gain kind of a strategic advantage on the continent. But, eventually the AIDS virus began to spread in the Soviet Union, and the Soviets wanted to gain research collaboration with American scientists and researchers on the issue, so the U.S. government was able to convince them to settle down with the whole AIDS disinformation campaign, but the damage was done. Polls throughout the 90s and even early 2000s showed that the conspiracy still had legs. Dr. Thomas Bogart's article Soviet bloc uh, intelligence and its AIDS disinformation campaign discusses some of these polls. Namely, in 2005, the RAND Corporation conducted a study with Oregon State University and found that nearly 50% of African Americans thought that the AIDS virus was man-made, 25% believing it was made in a government lab, and 12% believed that the CIA was the agency making it. So just a, a really a hist- semi-historical piece, this is kind of still active, um, disinformation campaign, really interesting to learn about. Um, But moving on to more current news, the Department of Justice indicted four Iranian nationals with conspiracy to kidnap a Brooklyn journalist and human rights activist for basically a forced rendition to Iran. Allegedly, the involved individuals are part of Iran's Ministry of Intelligence. According to the Justice Department, one of those indicted was looking into a company that offers military-style speedboats for self-operated maritime evacuation out of New York City and travel from New York to Venezuela in what sounds like a movie-inspired intelligence operation. Now, you might think I'm joking about this possibly being a movie-inspired intelligence operation. I assure you, and maybe we'll have a full episode about it here in the future, there have been countless intelligence operations that were inspired directly from movies, which is very funny to me. But thankfully, the journalist is safe, but it just goes to show that the world of strange intelligence is alive and well. Quick closing note. Today, we talked about disinformation campaigns particularly ones coming from Russia. We also discussed how seemingly real but actually forged government documents played a significant role in convincing a credible scientist that the U.S. government made the AIDS virus. If we have learned nothing else, it is to be extremely cautious at any type of news report that documents leaked from the Kremlin. While it is certainly possible, it's also very likely that whatever they allow to leak is actually disinformation just a timely piece of advice from us here at stranger intel thanks for checking out the show make sure to go follow our page on instagram and facebook at stranger intel and we will talk to you guys next week this sudden clandestine decision to station strategic weapons for the first time outside of soviet soil is a deliberately provocative and unjustified change in the status quo, which cannot be accepted by this country. tear down this